Hi, and welcome to the Hustle Podcast show about building digital products, culture, process, solution, and all the ins and outs of the things that we do every day at work. Uh, this is Anthony Armanderas, and I'm here with my co-host, Rick Messer. Yep. And a special guest today, Rachel Kurtz, um, a good friend of mine that I've met through the Bureau of Digital Affairs and someone that's helped advise me on on specific things related to um, project management and um, process uh, here at FunSize over the last few months. Uh, Rachel, thanks for joining us. Why don't you say hello? Hey, guys. How are you doing? Doing good. Not bad. <laughs> it's it's a little, awesome. little hotter here in Austin than I would like for it to be. It's too early. It's like 90-something degrees. Yeah. It's a, they always start putting tickets on the cars when it gets hot, just so people... <laughs> have to go outside. Have to, yeah. Do the do the tickets melt or is it the tires? I'm not sure. <laughs> I, I don't know. I, I don't wish know. it was the tickets. Yeah, I wish it was the not. tickets. <laughs> uh, Rachel, why don't you take a take a moment to introduce yourself and give us a background on who you are and what you're doing and what you care about right now? Yeah, you bet. So um, my name is Rachel Gertz, and I work out of a company. I co-found a company called Louder Than 10. So I do a lot of process consulting and also project management training. Um, I have a background in education, English education, and I do a lot. I love content strategy. Um, I also really love to research things, and you can find me down a rabbit hole sometimes where I just want to find out everything there is to know about a topic. And uh, I love talking about things like artificial intelligence, and having really deep political debates, don't get me started, and oh also exploring oh other, <laughs> exploring uh, like any kind of space stuff. Elon Musk gets gets me every time. So if you guys ever want to talk that stuff, you come find me. <laughs> Maybe yeah. we can have a, a talk about some of the the U.S.'s uh, candidates after this. After this no, um, nope. <laughs> and you're you're in, you're in Canada, so you're, yeah. I'm sure you're watching from afar, or laughing yeah. your ass off. We may be joining you, depending on how this whole you know. We may be moving fun size of Canada. Who knows? I was gonna say I want to preemptively tell you that we have open borders and no walls. So if you do need to come here, please do because we will welcome you with open arms. <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. Uh, so uh, I guess both of us missed Owner Camp Montreal. Um, yeah. Are you going to be at Digital Project Management Summit in Houston? I plan to. Yeah, it's one of those things where you just like I miss my friends there. We we've met so many great people. I mean, we I think that's where we first met. Hey, Anthony, like that's right. we. What a great event. It's just super cool to see kind of like a little nest for people who are doing this kind of work. So um, it's great to see owners and stuff too coming to some of these and creative leads and, and all of these other roles as well. Those of you that are listening that are um, designers or owners or project managers, you should, de- should definitely check out the Digital Project Management Summit. They, they do uh, one or two events a year and they're really, really killer. Um, the one that I went to where I met met you, Rachel, was probably one of the best conferences that I, I've ever been to. I think it was because we were talking about some of the things we're going to talk about today that go outside of what it's like um, doing the craft of design. Is it, are these series of events at all connected to like Owner Camp? Yeah, the same company that puts them together. And they're doing like a creative director thing yes. too, the, yeah. like this month or something. Okay. Yeah. I didn't know if they're connected mm-hmm. or not. Okay, cool. Mm-hmm. So, um, Maybe tell us a little bit about um, what your company's doing and the kind of kind of folks that you guys work with. And uh, I'm actually interested in learning a little bit more about that too. 
Yeah, you bet. So um, Louder Than 10, uh, we've been running now for about seven years. Uh, we started out as a two-person studio and we actually, at the time, we were sort of wondering like, well, where do we where do we take this? And we didn't really, we were living in Calgary, which I don't know if you guys have ever heard this, but Calgary is kind of like like the Texas of Canada. It's an interesting uh, anomaly and there's lots of creative communities, but there's also lots of kind of the mix of, you know, white collar and uh, some different political views and things. So we decided to take our kind of show on the road, I guess, if you want to call it that. And we got a Winnebago and we started traveling around for a year. And I think it really, it, it shifted a lot of our attitudes about not only design, but just like what it is to to be vulnerable, meet people, rely on kindness of strangers, things like that, where, you know, you're sleeping on a driveway with a, a garden hose uh, filling up your water supply. It's, it's It was really humbling and really neat experience. Um, it, was, uh, it was interesting because, you know, I had always wanted to teach, uh, but not in a school. Um, the idea of a brick building was really uh, gross. And when I got out of my teaching degree, you know, it just kind of set the wheels in motion for us. So what we, um, what we sort of shifted to, we realized, you know, there are a lot of very, very talented teams out there in terms of design. Um, I had kind of taken up the project management role as a lot of people do, where they, they actually don't get formally trained. They just fall into it. I'd say most 90 Five to 98% of the folks I've talked to. Um, but it is, you know, a lot about taking those, those skill sets and internalizing them and finding out how that can help you manage your, manage your time and your project. So anyway, um, we started uh, thinking about ways that we could help other agencies and, you know, product teams and just smaller companies who are trying to internalize uh, technology, you know, like we're working with a really awesome lawyer right now. And we, we've dealt with, actually, that's our, a few lawyers and just other folks too, accountants and things like that, who are trying to internalize technology. And we realized that um, a lot of the sort of um, skill sets in, involved in project management are just things that every person needs to know. It's not, you know, not so much a role, uh, but just a skill set. And, you know, that's not to say that there aren't really talented folks out there who have the PM hat on. I think that's pivotal too. So uh, it feels good to hear you say that a lot or most people that you talk to kind of have fallen into that role because, you know, when we're thinking about it sometimes um, I, I guess I feel like that happens a lot. <laughs> and mm -hmm. so it's, it's good to hear that other people do. Maybe it's because most of the people you talk to are in need of your help. I don't know, <laughs> but <laughs> that could be. It's also hard from the small business perspective because you know, you want to, you want to build a good team. You want to do good work. You want to deliver, you want to provide a great experience for your team and for your clients. But then there's other things that sort of roadblocks you have to get over like, you know how many people can you actually afford to employ? What's the, you know what's the right way to invest in it? How do you distribute all these you know soft and hard skills across the team? It's it's very challenging um, to yeah. to figure out. I mean, I'd be lying if I said that you know we have that we have that solved. But I, yeah, I do agree that like you know there's there's a there, there's a lot of things that are really important for anyone that's working with a customer at all. You know to need to learn. How do you guys, when you're working with um, designers or agencies or studios, I mean, what are some of the things that, like the fundamentals that you you teach that you know the basics that individuals need to have to in order to perform correctly? Um, I think it's really important to uh, focus on first and foremost 
empathy. This is probably something that is almost like beating an old drum. But um, I think even Aaron on your last podcast, your business developer, talked a lot about emotional intelligence. Um, and not only is it vital, but it's something I think it's really important to, to remember that this is something that's usually taught. Empathy is taught. You don't just, you are not just born an empathetic person. So, you know, I don't know if you guys remember this, but there was a story in the news years ago, I think in Florida, where like two kids set another kid on fire and everyone was shocked because they were like, well, how could, how could the, you know, this happen? And like, what's wrong with our world? And when it comes back to it, you know, behaviors like that, they're, they're learned behaviors. And so we have to teach empathy. And so if, if we are not um, conscious of what empathy is and does and how we use it in a business sense, because again, how are we taught to use empathy at work? Remember when you were kids? Share, be nice. But what does that translate to in a business sense, right? That's, that's pivotal. Um, I think some of the other things that are really important for the skill set and, and the role of a PM are to look at trying to identify always those project goals and keeping everyone focused on them. Um, I can't tell you how many times I talk with different teams and they just, they never set goals with their clients. Like they're kind of, it's almost like a tedious or kind of jokey process where like, yeah, goals, <laughs> goal setting, you know, but, but really what is anchoring your, what are you, what are you working towards? Yeah. What are you trying to accomplish? Right. So making sure that this, this, person or these people on the team are all clear on what those goals are and how you can actually meet them. Yeah, I think to, to just add to that, I know you're kind of continuing down a list here, but um, just to add to that one, I would say like something that's really tough uh, with with us with, with that particular thing is not like we have no problem setting goals. <laughs> I think I think it's uh, really really difficult. Like while we're in the weeds and working on the project, to even remember to like measure our 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 you know progress on those goals. Uh, like we set yeah. goals all the time, but like actually keeping them in front of us, like it, that's really difficult. So I just wanted to add that little. Uh, yeah. tidbit in, in, into that particular point you mentioned. That's, some, that's, some, sometimes oh. I, I'm sorry, I didn't mean to interrupt. <laughs> I was just going to say, sometimes <laughs> I, I suffer from forgetting the goal. Like maybe, yeah, maybe exactly. I helped establish the goal. Like, oh, we're going to, what even was it? Like, we, we're going to try to re redefine what it's like to, you know, in a, to do a Mac app with a writing experience. And then, then I get involved and, and I start making decisions that are, that actually are moving in a different direction and, and and working agile right like it's it's made to be that way to allow like product as it's being created to pivot and go this way and mm-hmm. that way and this way and that way and so like when some like huge thing comes crashing into the roadmap uh, and things change like that happens like pretty often and so it's really really tough to stay focused on what was the goal and then is that goal even relevant anymore totally yeah so i probably totally threw you off where you're going no no i think that's actually a really good point rick and i mean too there's there's sort of there's layers to the goals right so there are project goals but there's also business goals and i think you know in terms of what that company wants to accomplish they could probably from a high level you know really come down on well we, we want to focus on either a growth or b you know sustainability we want to focus on you know launching a product and increasing revenue by x you know like there's some sort of like high level goals that might might make a little easier where you can allow your project goals to shift around an agile process. But as long as, you know, like the, the PM role would help to kind of always draw back to the business case for why you're approaching a direction the way, the way you are and an iteration should be kind of reinforcing that, that direction, hopefully. 
Mm, I like that you said an iteration specifically. (laughs) (laughs) Well, just because we've been thinking about um, what we used to consider sprints as as iterations, like periods of iterations. Um, But okay, so I have a question kind of like back to what you were talking about and like the the core of it. I mean, I really like that you're adding in like, look, you know, whether there's a pivot or not, we need to make sure and measure that this is going against the business goals. Because even if there is a pivot, like, I don't know, you're halfway through designing a product and there's another product that that has like a very, very similar thing. So you got to pivot, but then there's still business goals that sort of stay the same. Like we need to hit this particular benchmark. Um, So yeah, just to kind of like put a period on that, I think that is uh, actually something I may have just understood for the first time is that while there's always product pivots, uh, the business goals are are typically not not changing. It's just pivots based on what the way you know a business goal is is trying to be reached. It's like oh, can't go that way. We've got to turn around and go around this this way. There, uh, kickoff meetings and stuff like that have always been the hardest for me because it's easy for me to get passionate and talking about design, but then. Sometimes forget, you know, to lay the groundwork for the initial goal planning. And there's a couple, like a couple articles that I read late, lately that gave me some tips on like some very simple questions to ask. And one of them is, um, mm-hmm. one of them is like, yeah. uh, how, like, as an agency, like, how do we help you as a client be successful in your organization? Mm-hmm. Um, because the answer might be, we need to like prove like speed. Or the ability to innovate, or another complete opposite might be: we need to, like, I, I need to build trust with my boss, and I need to do that slowly. Mm-hmm. And yeah, I think absolutely. one of the hardest things that I think creative people or designers is struggle with, unless they're then they unless they've been in the product world for a while and they realize it takes time to do things, is that they can get almost um, you know really excited about doing something big, like a complete redesign, and maybe get a little. Uh, butt hurt when they realize they can't do that immediately that they have to do this baby step but that baby step unlocks like some goal for the the client or the customer to get the budget for the next step or whatever mm-hmm. and, and yeah. that, that goes along with the empathy thing yeah. that she's saying like having empathy for the user and like actually leading them along something yeah I, f- yeah, I find myself I'm- go ahead sorry Oh yeah, and 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 too with empathy, it's you know empathy for your client and where they're at. You know, uh, we have to remember we're not we're not just building apps; like we're basically building businesses, and there's a lot That's of right. risk there. Yep. And you know they they have everything to lose. We have a client to lose, and so when they are approaching us, they're putting their hearts on the table and hoping yeah. you're not going to stab them, right? So <laughs> we have to, we really have to look at how we can use empathy, and I mean, trust absolutely is important, but you know, it's it's sort of like one of those things that we have to consider, you know, when we talk about um, miscommunication, you know, how that can affect the project and the business, right? And what kind of impact that has. There's something called um, keyhole communication. And you guys might have traditionally heard of, heard of this like happening a lot in the more sort of waterfall style methodologies where basically like, so you sit down in your kickoff, right? And, or even let's say before your kickoff, you have your first meeting with your client, your, your biz dev person sits down and talks to your client, your potential. And um, everything that that person gleans, they have to somehow communicate that to the next person who needs to receive that information. So, you know, ideally it would be a, P- a PM or if you do have a, you know, on your team, a product manager, it depends how you set your sort of services 
up because when you're dealing with agile, it's that weird blend, right? There's all kinds of roles that might be on your side or the client side. But essentially, when you talk about keyhole communication, you're like losing 75 to 80% of whatever you've just learned because it's like you're taking a sponge and dripping it over a really narrow cup and you cannot you know, pass that information off. So traditionally, you know, PMs were, and you might've, this is sort of like the, uh, what do you call it? Uh, traditional idea of what PMs do. It's like, oh, well, we'll just write a lot of documents. We'll like write a lot. And, you know, in, in UX, it was like, write a lot of epics and a lot of stories. And we'll just like document the hell out of everything. And then that way, if we have, if we want to refer back, we can close those gaps. So there has to be this fundamental balance between creating busy work that is just, you know, deliverables that get tossed away and nobody ever comes back to them versus delivering and actually doing work that is going to get people closer to understanding what we're accomplishing together. Mm-hmm. It's called, uh, why is that called keyhole communication? Oh, yeah. Keyhole. Because if you picture looking through a keyhole, you can only see kind of a portion until you get closer to that keyhole, ah, right? Like the closer cool. you get, you the, the better your view. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, cool. I get it. Oh, yeah. Yeah, it's interesting. Okay. And I don't know if I, I have a couple more too. If you guys are interested, yeah, we'll let you finish um, your thoughts. Sorry to derail you so so. Yeah, badly. no, no. That's so. Um, so the other kind of areas that I think are really important are you know a, a PM role or so that skill set is to really be a champion for your team. You know, like they're they're basically um, dealing with a lot of pressure. There's there's deadline pressure sometimes even just you know, sprint to sprint, you're still dealing with a lot of kind of predictive pressure. And um, there's the that disappointment where if you do create something and you might not even need to be too attached to the work that you do, but we're all, we all get attached. Like I know even when I make content and then my partner Travis is like, nah, does that really, uh, does that really say what we wanted to say? I get a little like, oh, that's hard. That's really hard. But I'm going to just, okay, does it, what, what are we trying to accomplish? You know, trying to help support your team through those tough conversations where they might have some dirt kicked in their eyes, you know, and kind of showing them like, it's okay, you know, we're doing a good job. And so the PM's role is kind of, I hate to say it this way, but it's kind of to take it from the top and from the bottom at the same time. They're taking it from the client and they're sort of taking it from the team and they're acting as that really soft padding between the two so that they can both communicate across. And, and reduce those barriers. So that's actually a really interesting point, and I'm gonna potentially derail you again. So sorry <laughs> for that in advance. Bring but, it. <laughs> but something that we were interested in talking to you about too was the fact, uh, well, well, the question of should uh, creatives uh, be doing like project management? Like, is it are they a replacement for project management? In some situations, maybe. In most situations, I'd say probably not. Love to hear your opinion on it. But there's product companies out there now. Uh, Envision is is a product company that's totally distributed, and they. Their designers, like all their their PMs, are in fact designers, like doing design work. And I think we even had. uh, Well, that's because they're. I mean, that's you're talking about product managers. Yeah, yeah, absolutely, absolutely. Like, definitely important to make make a differentiation there. But at the same, I think the question is the same: should should designers like be doing either of those jobs? And I think it was Adam Saint uh, from Bench we had on last season. um, Also Canadian. Also Canadian. Yeah, yeah. Um, He. He was saying that he felt that you know designers are best suited uh, to be to be doing doing those types of roles, but because of what you just said, uh, I think that that you know makes 
actually a very unique challenge uh, for a designer or creative to be in that role Mm -hmm. because you sort of need, you know, while you're getting close to the work, you need to be able to maintain like a different like level of, um, you know, uh, objectivity, which is very, very difficult to do. And even like, mm, I dare say impossible to do when you're actually like the one doing the work too, you know, like how how can you be totally... Uh, objective about your own work, you know, like that's really, really tough. So the the question that I that I pose here is, um, is it is it practical to really think that um, de- designers or creatives can actually fill that role without somebody else uh, that's that's a sort of non designer person um, supporting them? I have so much to say about this. And you know what? Ultimately, what it'll have to be is that your company has to decide that for itself. Every company has to decide that. So I don't know if you guys happen to read this article yet. If you get a chance, Mike Davidson, he used to be the design director at Twitter, right? And then founder of Newsvine. So he actually talks about his time at Twitter as as a design director and just like when he was working with product managers and sort of what the traits of those product managers should be. And I mean, essentially what he outlined was, again, empathy, um, understanding communication. And he added like that you should be able to have a really good business sense and a business savvy sense. And then finally, his thing was taste, which, you know, that's a great thing to have as someone who's going to be guiding product development. Right. So um, what I what I really wanted to kind of uh, dig into, though, is that so whether or not your product manager or project manager, I know, okay, there's a lot of people uh, getting really flappy around the the, sort of the differences between those roles. I'm not going to get into that because that's a whole other conversation. But what I can say is that um, there is, there is a specific role and, and yes, every person on the team should have PM skills. Like all the things we just talked about, every team member should probably be hired for those things, less for fit, more for, can they be savvy business sense? Can they be empathetic? All those things. But The one thing is that the PM role is designed so that that one person is accountable for the project being a success. No one else carries that burden on their shoulders, but the PM's role is to be accountable for that project. And that means that that PM role, they are supposed to not only be able to see what's going on in the project down to the detail, right? They need to know like if there's, if the code is working or if the design and code, if there's a breakdown between the intersection points where, you know, there, there a communication uh, fell fell off the, the plate, or maybe they even are just not aligning with, again, those business goals and they're going a little bit in the wrong direction, the PM needs to see those details, but the PM also needs to be able to balance that with a very high level strategy focus for where that project is going. Even if it's a product, they need to know, right, where the product is headed and does that align with, with the weeds? Are we going in the right direction? Yep. If, wow. if, okay. if you look at every single teammate they are not only carrying the load of the creative burden, right? And I hate to say burden because it's not a burden, but just just in terms of the overall load that they carry, right? They're doing their design. They are coding. They are doing amazing content writing. They are doing research and UX. Who has the job of asking the tough questions about the project? Who has the job of going back to the client and reading red flags and risks from the client that are going to not only indicate 
are we doing the right thing? But how does this impact the scope of the project and the timeline of the project? Because if you don't recognize the ways that uh, body language, certain ways of communicating, even things like adding multiple layers of stakeholders are going to impact your project in terms of budget, timeline, and just quality, then you're estimating the wrong thing and you're doing the wrong work. So mm-hmm. that's the thing that I kind of wanted to leave you with. And I know that's mm-hmm. a tough, you have to decide for yourselves. No, I mean, I, I really respect that perspective. I think that's actually, I think you actually gave a more definitive answer than I thought you were headed <laughs> towards. So no, I, I, I appreciate that. And I think you touch on some very uh, interesting things there. Um, if, you know, like if a designer, right, is in charge of managing a product in addition to being the designer and the design is having a problem, you know, who are you going to blame or who are you going to hold accountable for that? Like, hey, we're having some design problems. Well, it's pretty logical that you'd hold the designer um, to that. But if that designer is also having like some project, like, you know, like the roadmap issue or like if it's client services, like the client is, 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 is irritated about this or that, then who are you going to hold responsible? The designer? Mm-hmm. I, maybe, uh, but aren't they like more focused on, uh, creativity? I don't know. There's, there's other sides to that too. Like, um, we kind of have layers of designers now at, at fun size. And so we mm-hmm. have design directors that are sort of, um, working, day to day with design. Um, but they're also like, maybe like if the designers day to day are like in the weeds, the, the design directors are maybe like, uh, 50, hundred feet above, you know, in, in a, in a, in a yeah. view sense, you know, so maybe they're, they're, you know, that's kind of how we're doing it right now. So and not to, yeah. not to completely oversimplify it, but I think it's the challenge that, you know, like some people might have all the skills or combos of the skills, but if you put too much, of any one thing on someone, they're, something else that they're doing is bound to suffer. So, yeah. like for me, it was like I couldn't do all the creative direction and do all the sales and do X, Y, and Z. So it was nat- it was natural to be you know hire people, even though I can sell, hire Aaron to do that, even though I can creative direct, split that up between three design directors. And then, you know, more, more recently, we've been faced with a lot of these sort of issues. Like, okay, we do great design work. Like everyone on the team is, you know, upholds the value system really well, but. How can a design director stay focused on design if there's no one, you know, managing the project and someone does need to be accountable for that? Because you know, like right before we started hitting the record button, you were talking about something that was really important to me about managing the expectations and what happens when you fail to deliver even once, right? You mm-hmm. you, you fail to do something once, it could you you might lose that trust forever. Mm-hmm. And, and um, you know, like I you know, I, there's so many ways to, to structure teams, and what, I think. But I think that's really important. Um, you know, I, I'm st- I still have a lot to learn about, like how the best way to do this. I mean, I wish, I wish that, you know, budgets and all that weren't a concern because I would just, you know, you know, build this like most perfect I, team. I think we should go back to the way where you were doing like creative direction, sales, uh, like all the biz dev, yeah. and yeah, you know, okay. yeah, and actually designing to like we should just go back to that. I think that was <laughs> that was working pretty good. Yeah, we. Uh, <laughs> You know, we you know we we've had a lot of experiments with how we do this. I think the the thing that we're doing right now, I have the most faith in. We hired someone to kind of you know step in and kind of be a head head of projects, and mm-hmm. the the part of it that you know, even though I mean I'm not as tactical in the work as Rick is, but from the business management side, like someone that really makes sure that we're 
that we're delivering uh, a delightful, productive process, and that we're adapting, and that we're aligning to values, and you know, measuring the uh, the client expectation. How that how that one person will add the right value over six to seven projects at a time, I don't know. A lot of this whole thing, you know, building processes and and kind of refining operations, it's all it's all about a bit about experimentation, right? Because I don't think anyone does have the answers. We're just trying to figure out better ways to work. And there's so many different approaches and methodologies. And it's like, you can't get bogged down in a methodology or, you know, like roles and titles. It has to be about doing good work together. And I think you guys, like I do, I really respect all of the information direction that you've you sort of shared over the last little while. Because I think that's really... It's showing that no matter where we are on that sort of, you know, phase of in our businesses, like you're still learning. Everybody is still learning. That's right. And I think that's super powerful. Yeah, I mean, I think I, I think that you know the way we approach product design uh, is that we embrace an agile process. We're really only you know planning like two weeks ahead um, yeah. because. It's it's sort of just unrealistic to 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 plan beyond that and like that we've sort of taken that to um, the, the the concept of how things are working with fun size you know like we're trying things out like constantly and just kind of feeling it out as we go and trying to just you know like be really really critical about like is this really working no let's try something else you know and and be just very open minded to doing so. I think the other yeah. the other realization to me is that like all like I mean I'm sure every freelancer studio agency has a similar problem mm-hmm. but not one project is identical to the other unless you're just making like unless you specialize on one thing like e-commerce design or something that specific you know and mm-hmm. to me why the thing's interesting is having all these different people with all these very different skill sets and being able to move them around if you need to right like have a project manager and pair that person with a a designer for this project. This project just pair a couple designers together. I don't know, but that seems to be the best you know solution that I can come up with. You know, until you know we're in a position where we can you know structure everything in a more you know identical fashion. Um, mm-hmm. But it is tough, and um, and it is uh, it is uh, very you know clear that you know it's really tough to be doing you know four different things and doing those all at you know the same level you know same same level of work and you know i i think um my you know where you have a lot of value to bring here is that you you're you've been in this world for a long time where i haven't i'm curious like if you have you know advice for the listeners out there that it may be freelancers or working for a small studio or an agency or also trying to figure out this these issues like how would you well uh, well they should number one reach out to you and hire you but if you had advice to them on how to think about, I mean, I know it's probably hard to like generalize it, but how should someone think about doing this well, like in terms of you know the principles or the kind of roles that they need, or how how to think about how many people you need to do this? I mean, is there anything that that you that you can share? Yeah, I mean, so we work with a lot of we work with like smaller companies, like small to medium sized companies, because I find so this is our this is our sort of own internal thing where we were like, you know what, we could work with large, large agencies and enterprises, um, 
and we could go in and try to change the process. But I think what I really discovered, and I talked a lot to Travis about this, was you know when you, you want to put energy into something, you want that energy to have an impact. And so when you're dealing with large, often bureaucratic structures, you you can only do so much. And I, 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 we really wanted to have a larger impact. So we said, you know, like we want to work with people who get people, they care about their teams and they care about the work that they do and the money, like obviously money is the thing that keeps the, the rudder moving, but it cannot be sort of the primary motivation for what we're doing here. Because I don't know if you guys have been paying attention, but eventually we're probably going to have a very big cut in our job sector um, down the road when we start looking at how all these ways of AI and all these other sort of machine learning things are going to automate the work we do. So we have to figure out how how to be sustainable. And to be sustainable, we have to look at creating processes that work for our people. So, um, you know, we often talk a lot about like, don't hire for fit because fit basically means you want someone who acts just like you do. And you want, you want people who are going to make you better, different than you, who are going to make challenge you to think differently. So when we're talking about, (laughs) I'm sorry to comment again on that, but I actually wrote that down earlier when you, when you mentioned that, because, you know, we've been, you know, we've been growing a little bit. We've been like going, going, hiring in in a few different directions. And like, that's sort of like our number one thing, uh, is, is cultural fit, you know? Um, but as soon as you said that, I started, you know, my mind kind of started going. Yeah. That's that's actually like a really, really interesting point. I, I, yeah, I think that is too. I mean, that's that's really inspiring. I, I wrote an I read an article the other day. I can't remember who wrote it, but it was like general business advice. And one of the things on there was intentionally hire people that are different and force them to work together. Yeah. Or yeah. or you know or force that oh, diversity. That hit me right <laughs> in the stomach. Oh. Yeah, that's a good point. Please carry on. <laughs> no problem. I mean, as long as they have those those core essential skills, right? Where they are, they are trying to work together, and they, you know, they have empathy and they have the business skills. Like they might, you know, if we, you're hiring people from different backgrounds, different sexes, and different, you know, sort of histories, like you're you're encouraging and, and inviting new ideas that will help kind of blow up all of our, you know, we all build things in the same way right now. Like if you look at uh, overall in Silicon Valley, like we're making products that are all very similar and we're, they're functioning in a similar way for a similar audience. Like what if we could make that look and feel different? And I, I don't know, we just really think that there's, there's, there's something else out there that we're, we're getting there. There's lots of conversations happening, but we just have to kind of blow the lid off of it. So, um, so I think you guys were asking me about, um, sort of like, is it like setting up the system and like what, like how, what kind of advice we would have for people who are looking at setting this well, is that, is that- I, well, I think your answer was actually a lot different than what I was asking, but it was more inspiring because it sounds to me like the way that you guys approach this is not necessarily force feeding a certain you know methodology or ideology no. on a company, but helping them sort of navigate what works best for them. And I, I think that's pretty powerful. That's cool. We yeah, I mean, we really want to um, work with companies who want to be sustainable. They they want they want to last. Like I don't know if you guys read this. Uh, I think Fortune fives are now lasting on average about five to fifteen years max before they're like, there and gone. Like how is that possible? We're we're living in this very tenuous world now where you know even the biggest best ideas are they're coming and they're going. And so, uh, I'll, you know, again, it, people feel differently about this stuff. Growth isn't 
a bad thing. It's just that when it's runaway and it and it definitely doesn't serve your people that that are you know doing the work for you, then we have to kind of look at like, well, what is important? Why are we doing these things? So so when we work with with folks, we really want to work with folks who who feel feel the same way as that. And maybe that would, maybe some people would be like, oh, you're just hiring for fit. But really what we want is we want to make sure that we're aligned on on goals. And if they have a different way of getting there, we just want to say, well, let's see what's working for you guys already. So let's look at your systems. Like, what do you, what do you guys use for tools? Um, what's your project drag rate? So in other words, do you start projects when you say you're going to start them? Do they end when you say that you're going to end them? Because you can actually get a lot of information from from a company based on those those details, right? If they drag a lot, then you know there's something happening that is causing that drag and you have to go into like project profitability. Are you guys consistently um, under or less than 10% over on your project budgets? And if you're over, why is it happening? Um, what kind of, I think we said tool sets do you use and what kinds of processes do you put in place? Like, are you using collaborative communication or are you siloing your workers incidentally without even realizing it? Like, If you use Slack, how do you use Slack to encourage that kind of collaboration instead of actually you know, closing those conversations down, um, things like that, you know, just really getting people to sort of reevaluate the way that they work together. And, and half the time they have most of the answers and it's just like sort of changing the gaze, just changing the gaze a little bit and making it more about like, let's, let's kind of fix this problem together. So not prescriptive at all, just explorative. That's cool. Yeah. That's, that's kind of like altering some, some thoughts I think that we're kind of currently have right here. Uh, but yeah, that, I mean, well, let me, let me actually challenge something you said and just, just kind of prod that a little bit. Um, you said that you can learn a lot about a company from just understanding the drag time of their projects. So like how do they start them when they think, say they're going to start them? Do they finish them when they say, what can you learn from that other than that they're, I mean, what conclusions can you draw from seeing if somebody is is accurate with that or inaccurate? Totally, totally. So, so at first glance, you're going to see just data, right? You're going to see, okay, start dates are later. So you have to. So this is this is the process. You start you start making assumptions. Assumptions are not dangerous unless you do not vet them. If you do not vet your assumptions and challenge them, that's where you get into hot water, right? So as a team, when you're going to your client and asking questions, if they're telling you something and you're like writing it down, but then you never challenge it, that's the part where you have to be like, oh, we might not be going on the right path. So for me, when we're looking at projects drag, we wouldn't just say, okay, project drag, oh, your projects are consistently starting two weeks late. Therefore, you must be um, having problems uh, closing your your contracts and uh, projects are not finishing on time because communication is poor. No. What we would do probably would be to look at the root cause analysis. So you guys may have heard this. That's the Toyota method. Basically, you ask why five times. You ask why, 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 why. I think I said it five times until you get to the root of what is really happening. But it gives clues about things that could be impacting it. So you're just using it as one metric so that when you're resource planning and you're trying to say, okay, do we need a designer on this? Do we need a content strategist? Do we need a full stack? Um, When do they need to come on? Now, if if a project is dragging, it may be because there's a lot of other things happening there where, um, you know, contracts aren't closing on time or 
have you guys ever had this where you have, uh, there's an executive board or a legal board involved. And so even though we had all agreed that we would have sign off for this iteration or this outcome at this time, well, that actually, actually ended up adding an additional like three weeks, four weeks to the budget or to the timeline. And there's nothing any of us could do, except had we known going in that that would happen, we could have allocated more time for that, right? We always forget it's not just implementation on our side, right? Not just not just building the thing. It is about planning for the response on their side for processing that too. So I know that that might differ from a lot of the agile approach that you guys might take. So just a different way to look at it. I think it's the same principles, you know, like the the things that we do, like Rick said, we plan every two weeks and those, you know, sometimes that's very, conc- you know what you're going to do and it's concrete. Sometimes it's assumptions. You don't know exactly how long something is going to take, but you're you're saying, "Oh well, let's let's invest three days into this," and then mm-hmm. getting the client to agree to that. But then, what always happens for us um, is we're always um, because of this process, we're always asking our customers to pick what's the most important thing to them at the time, because right. every decision that they're going to make is going to push something else back. But you know. It's the same principle because, like, right now we just kicked off. There's a there's a project we just kicked off. Number one, we started two days later just because of how long it took to organize a meeting with a very big corporate company. And so then already on day one of the project, there's already confusion about well, when does the first iteration actually start, and what is how does right. that how does that affect the end date? And that's obviously right. something you have to talk with a customer about like immediately um, before mm-hmm. they lose the you know before the you start right out the gate with no trust. And then when we started totally. doing the initial planning today, when I was doing it, I realized, well, we thought we had an assumption about what the project was, but then when we kicked it off, we learned a lot more about what they needed. And when we started writing that into the project plan, we realized, well, we only have half the amount of time that we need. So, you know, like, you know, just as an example, already in day one with a client, there's already two big things that have to be discussed. Like, we don't have enough time for this project. Do you want us to uh, which which fifty percent of it do you want us to get done, <laughs> and yeah. and well, how do we reconcile these two days that we were slow to start? How'd it go? It hasn't happened yet. Well, <laughs> this, oh, it's gonna it's yeah. gonna be going yeah. at, at hand. At yeah. Point. So we we ha- we we and that's just an example. And that kind of stuff happens every two weeks. And we we you know we did realize that it's hard for designers to be focused on. That heads down two week iteration work, and for our design leaders to be focused on directing that, plus being strategic, like mm-hmm. who, who's managing the client expectation. Mm-hmm. Um, totally. Yeah. And you guys probably have additional complexity too, because like I forget how exactly you structure this, but a lot of the time you guys are like kind of acting as the internal design team for a client. And I don't know, like how how long did you guys say your typical partnerships last? Like you're trying to go for ongoing collaboration, right? It's just, it, we are the team now. It, it really depends. I mean, um, most of our engagements will start out at about three months and we'll use it to kind of test it on both sides. And if it works out, it's very typical that a client will renew um, two to five times consecutively. Which right I think pro- like proves our value. Like last month, eighty-two or more percent of all of our clients were repeat customers that had done more than two engagements, two to five engagements. Um, oh, that's and in, excellent. And sometimes these can span for six, nine, twelve months at a time. And like you said, a lot of those are product companies where we are essentially their design solution or augmenting their team in some way. And that's a whole different animal because the person that hired us is most likely the product manager. Mm-hmm, like mm-hmm. you know, and they have like a product team behind them, and a design research t- team behind them, and an engineering team behind them. And sometimes 
even design. And so the it, um, it it's a weird dynamic because they are in charge of the strategy. They are in charge of the roadmap. We can help influence that, and we can bring our ideas to the table. But a lot of the times, that's um, it's directed to us versus the other half of our projects, where it's like maybe an early stage where we're directing the strategy, and, and that team has way less experience with product management or product management mm-hmm. or understanding how decisions affect um, time, cost, quality, and all that kind of stuff. Are you drawn to either one or the other? Are you feeling like I, there's there's sort of a nice balance? Or? I think that we're continually drawn to keep a good balance of those things. I think once we start teetering one way or the other, uh, our team starts getting fidgety and like, oh, there's too much <laughs> enterprise or, oh, there's, you know, not enough big, you know, big things we're working on or whatever. So like we, yeah, I think we've done a pretty decent job so far of keeping it balanced, but I don't see us ever going one way or the other. More, more or less. Yeah, I agree with that. It's hard because, you know, like um, some of our, you know, big Bay Area clients where we're paired up with a product manager, we're doing a lot of execution against their strategy, which is cool, right? Like you get to work on, you get to execute the stuff and you get to see it built and you work, you work really collaboratively with their engineers. That's cool. But it's also cool when you're in a position to inform what you're going to build. And, mm-hmm. and that's a whole different set of skills, right? And, and then they're maybe they maybe they have a third party engineer, right? And then and then all like, not all companies can just um, spend money over and over again without repercussion. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. So you know a lot of the stuff that we a lot of the the other half of the stuff we like to do in this early stage sort of bucket really means that we have to bring more skill sets to the table to help navigate that. Yeah, absolutely. I could see that for sure. They're, they're arguably harder. Yeah, um, we heard that you're going to be on the road doing some presentations and stuff like that. Why don't you tell us about those? Maybe some folks want to go or maybe they are going. Yeah, for sure. So we've got a couple cool things I'm really, really excited about. We're going to Poland for a very first time and my very first tattoo. Um, but we're going to be speaking at, as part of the SOAP conference, which is actually specifically designed for, for content writers. And, and I'm sure there'll be a lot of designers there. And we're talking about sort of that, that content and design love together and how we can build those things in tandem. And then we're, we've been invited to speak at the content and design conference in Vancouver in July, uh, the one uh, Steve Fisher puts on and, and his wife and partner. So we're really excited about those and doing um, a collaboration workshop later this fall. So learning sort of like how to get your team to play together, almost like a jazz band, right? Effortlessly and and how we increase communication across those channels. Um, so you can find us, um, we're, we'll be posting a lot of that information fairly shortly on the on the site. So you can find us at louderthan10.com. Um, but yeah, ultimately we're just, we're excited. We'll hopefully see you guys at the, the Digital Project Management Summit. Um, and I would seriously like... The thing I really want to sort of drive home, I think, is that people have kind of like have a like PM has a bit of a bad rap. I'm not quite sure why, but I think it's because maybe the folks who have worked with PMs, maybe they didn't have a great experience. And so they've kind of summed it up as like, eh, don't really need them. But I I would really challenge people to, to just sort of like look at what we're talking about at the base of this, right? Which is those core skill sets and just championing each other, making sure we're there for each other, having great conversations and focusing on doing good work. And I think like if we can stop sort of trifling over like product and project and producer and all of these other terms and just focus on doing good work. Like maybe, I don't know, maybe that's just the next step, you know? Yeah. 
I, I can definitely appreciate that. It's hard to say we can completely disconnect from defining it. And I think at some point, like everyone's going to be looking for an answer for that. But yeah, I agree at this point, it's just a distraction from, from the good work that we could be doing. Um, what about, you mentioned your website. Um, can you throw out your Twitter handle uh, so people could follow you and tweet and stuff? Yeah, absolutely. It's um, at louder than ten, so that's uh, T E N, not not one zero. Um, and yeah, we're we're going to be um, kind of sharing a bunch of new things that we've got coming up. We've got a, a a Cokes magazine that we invite people to just talk about the real stuff. You know, like everything in your life is a project. If you're you know you're burying your dog or you're you know moving into a new house, everything we do is a project. And and I think it's for all the project lovers. You know, people who just really want to share a story and it's about working together and and trying to figure each other out we're human we're weird and we gotta celebrate that we are we are weird especially anthony Mm -hmm. but other than (laughs) yeah cool well thank you so much we really appreciate your time uh i think a lot of the stuff that you said is actually already instantly influential to uh, anthony and i um so thank you very much for for sharing your wisdom today appreciate it I love you guys. I really thank you so much for just keep keep sharing this stuff. This is amazing. And um, it's just really neat to be, you know, trying to talk to more folks who 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 get this stuff and you and you guys totally get this. It's really neat to be able to, you know, share that. So thank you for the this opportunity. Oh, thank you for making time and, and whether or not I can make the conference, I'll definitely drive down to Houston and hang out. Just let me know if you're coming. Yeah, you bet. That sounds great. All right. All right, cool. Thanks a lot. See ya. See ya. Next time. Hey, thanks so much for listening today. This is Rick. I'm sure you've all heard of Envision. The product is practically synonymous with screen design. We're stoked that Envision is now a sponsor of Hustle. Something we love about Envision is that they are so highly involved in the community. Uh, These guys really care about where design is going, and they support creatives with loads of design resources, uh, UI kits, design process, and interview articles on their blog, which is great for just general inspiration when building products. Aside from being a great prototyping tool, they also have features for project management, creating mood boards and presentations, live collaborative screen sharings, and like a million other useful things. I literally do not have enough time to even list all their features, but they pretty much got what you need. Uh, Bottom line, they don't just want you to be a user. They want to empower you with their tools so that you can do your best work. And I think that's pretty cool. Overall takeaway, if you haven't heard about Envision or haven't checked them out in a while, just play around with their latest features. They have a free trial and a really impressive lineup of industry-leading design and project management tools. Uh, Their homepage is just envisionapp.com. Go check them out. Hustle is brought to you by FunSize, a digital product design agency in Austin, Texas that creates delightful, innovative products for mobile, web, and beyond. Visit us on Twitter at FunSize or visit our website at FunSize.co.